little bit good to you, give him just a little bit of praise. But if he's been really, really good to you, give him a big praise tonight. Can you do that? Amen, amen, amen. Well, praise God. I want to, I'm excited about being here tonight and uh, excited about what I have to share with you. And so appreciate Pastor Scott and Sandy and, and uh, our little greeter as I was coming in. So, man, she'd just steal your heart, won't she? Good grief. Watched her over here, and she was all into the worship and looking around. And, and uh, y'all keep her at that front door, and you won't be able to keep people out. <clears throat> so um, I'm excited about what God's going to do tonight. If you'll turn with me to the book of First Kings. I'm going to start reading here in just a moment in verse 37. And uh, it's been, a, been an interesting journey. Amen. Maybe some of you have stepped back and said, this has just uh, been an interesting year for you. Or, or uh, maybe some of you are just kind of ready for 2019 to, to be done. Um, I want you to know that, that God's got something very special for you. Amen. God's still going to move in a big way, I believe, in this year. I really believe for this year out, God's going to do some, some great things. And uh, uh, I, I have, uh, I really don't have notes tonight, but, but in my Bible, I've got all kinds of notes where I write stuff down. And um, I just had a little piece of paper where I just jotted down randomly. Uh, coming into 2019, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, don't give up on revival. So don't give up on revival. I know here at this house, this is, that's common, but places we go all over, all over America, that's not the case. I was just in a, in a city that had a major revival just a few years ago. Not a big city, not a city like Dallas or, or uh, you know, Toronto or, or uh, Pensacola, but uh, a town of, uh, you know, many thousand people, maybe, maybe 100,000 people, and they had an awesome move of God. Where people came in and denominational lines were broken. And people came and one building couldn't hold it, so they moved it to another building. And then they moved it to another building and another building. And uh, this is several years ago. So when they brought me into the area, they had gone to some different churches and were encouraging the churches to come and participate in revival. And the one revival, the one church that hosted the meeting, Pastor Scott told him, he said, I don't believe in revival anymore. I just don't believe in it anymore. I don't know why we would feel that way or why that would be in our hearts. And, of course, I was talking with a pastor just before the service, and often we mistake well-attended services for revival. Just because we've had well-attended services, that does not mean we've had revival. But I really believe that God's just getting ready to pour out his spirit on the church like we've, uh, like we've been praying and asking for there are those that are going to experience revival like they've never even dreamed. Um, I believe there are be, going to be people that are going to experience revival who really don't even know what revival is. They're just, going to, they're just going to step into it, but they're going to know that it's God. So I believe God's getting ready to do something in, uh, in the church right now. And, and tonight I just want to share a word with you. I, I believe this is going to encourage you. I had weathered all afternoon about what to share with you. Um, I, I never just go in and preach a message. I have, um, I have my, I actually, I brought two computers with me this week. 
So I have my, actually I brought my laptop and, and my, uh, my, my desktop computer and had both of them in my hotel room. And between the two of them, Pastor, I've got thousands of messages and I have a stack of uh, things that, ideas and, and notebooks, I mean, you know, piled this high that I carry with me everywhere I go. And, but, uh, you know, I want to make sure that I preach something that's, that's for tonight and what's shareable for tonight. And so... Uh, this afternoon, I really thought I was going to preach to you about Mephibosheth. And a few months ago, God gave me um, five, uh, five prophetic words that were hidden in the life of Mephibosheth. And I really thought I would share that tonight. But coming in and uh, sitting down, the Lord really took me over to 1 Kings 19. And I wanna, that's where I want to hang my hat tonight. So, so if you'll just bear with me a little bit, I want to share with you what, what's on my heart. And, uh, uh, and then we're going to see what God does next. So... 1 Kings 19, we'll start reading in verse 37. And it says, Hear, this is Elijah praying, Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trenches. Verse 39, And then the people saw, and they fell on their faces, and they said, Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook, and they slew them there. Then Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Now, if you've got your Bible out, uh, there's nothing wrong with your, you know, using your phone or an iPad or, or anything like that. But if you've got your physical Bible out, get you a marker and go ahead and underline, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. If you've got your mobile device, go ahead and do the same thing, but highlight that because this is a very important scripture. It says, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah, we have, we have two cultures that are at play right here. We have Elijah... Uh, who Ahab's, Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of the mountain of Carmel. He cast him down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. Verse 3, and he said to his servant, go now and look towards the sea. And he went and looked, and he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. Lord, I thank you for this word. I ask that it challenge us, change us, and cause us to be all that you called us to be. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I love the word. I do. I love the word. I love, the, I love, uh, l- love little nuggets that God will show us. And isn't it something how you can read the Bible? I, I read the Bible through, all the way through at least once a year. Uh, but that's not my study time. That's just my Bible reading time. And so uh, then I, I, I spend time studying. I listen to other ministers. I don't listen to every voice. But I do listen to voices that... Uh, that are important or maybe someone has suggested. I know Pastor Scott sent me uh, that video on Rob Shaka a few months ago. Um, I have preached that little snippet right there uh, all over the country now. Not really what she said, but it woke something up inside of me. So you know what I mean? We don't need to, we don't need to hear every voice, but we need to hear the right voice at the right time. And so this really woke up to me a few weeks ago. Uh, back in September, I was just kind of praying, and the Lord brought me here. And, and we have, once again, we have two cultures at play. But first of all, it says, hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. We need to be a people that uh, we need to be willing to challenge the culture of today. 
the church, the religious culture of the day, so that we can let people know that there is still a God of power and authority moving and operating in this world right here, right now. And we, we can't be afraid to pray for people. We can't be intimidated by sickness. We can't be intimidated by the loss. We can't be intimidated by social status. If, if the enemy had his way, he would keep every, every and, and hear, hear me, hear my heart when I say this, every broken, busted, disgusted, poor person pushed aside somewhere in a ditch if they would never be reached. But he would also take the wealthiest of the wealthy. He would take the uh, Bill Gates and he would take the uh, Donald Trumps and he would take the, uh, uh, the wealthy of the wealthy and he would set them aside as well and let them just live their lives but nobody ever touched them. See, these are two very intimidating bodies that need to be reached by the power of God. The broken need to be reached because they are broken. We always, we, we, uh, whenever the, the political season comes around, people always come up with a new way to, to help get rid of the homeless problem and get rid of the, the drug problem. And There is no way to get rid of those problems because Jesus said the poor we will have with us always. But we can learn to minimize those things and we can go in with the love and the power of God and we begin to tell people you can have more than where you live right now. You can do more than what you have right now and then people will begin to get a hold of the hem of his garment. See what we want is the government wants to put us in a position where we count on them but God wants to put us in a position where we count on him. And so if we're not careful, and can I be honest with you, the enemy wants you to depend on your job. But your job does not dictate your future. God dictates your future. Can I tell you, if you get a pink slip tomorrow, and you're not going to, but if you get a pink slip tomorrow, God is still large in charge and able to move for you. God is not up there in heaven about to have a nervous breakdown telling the Holy Ghost to bring him a Prozac because somebody lost their job or couldn't pay a bill. But, but that's how we think because that's what happens to us. When I was uh, in Bible college, I, I, uh, I worked at a, a travel trailer factory. And uh, I, I'd just been there a few weeks. And uh, I'll be honest, I was not very good at I wasn't good at the job. I just kind of was just kind of going through the motions and just learning everything. And all of a sudden, my boss came around with pink slips and started passing them out to people. And, and uh, there was a young man that I'd been working with, and he got one. And then several other people in my department, they all got one. I didn't get one. I was less qualified. I didn't have the experience, but somehow God took care of me and stayed my job. That was, that was almost 30 years ago. I want you to know, wherever you are right now, it does not matter what's going on around you. You are different than the world that has been around you. And that's what Elijah wanted the world around him to know. My God is large in charge and able to move for me in my situation, no matter how grim it looks. Right now, it looks like there is Baal worship everywhere, but God is getting ready to slaughter the prophets of Baal and give us the greatest victory of our lives. Right now it might look like the enemy is gaining ground. It might look like drug addiction is going up. It might look like poverty is going up. But friend, it's not going to affect you or your house. Your prodigals are coming home. God's going to make sure you got food in your freezer, money in your bank account and a blessing in your life that is so big that you can go out and bless somebody else around you. But if we listen to the enemy... Will never believe that. And so when the Bible says God, 
God, let fire fall. And we, we know this story, and that's not really what I want to preach tonight. But then the Bible says that, that the, the enemy was destroyed. And then God, then Elijah goes to the king and says, Oh, king, I want you to go and eat and drink. There will always be those that will eat and drink while the people that know the culture, they know the season, they know the phase, they know where God is, that will be willing to tuck themselves away and pray and fast and seek God when everybody else is feasting. There will always be those that seek God in such a way that they're in tune to him and they know when it's time I need to push myself away from everyone else and get in God's presence. I here in my ministry we are we are entering the you know this is a, a December is a crazy month for traveling ministries. Because, I mean, you just really don't know what to expect. So we usually take a couple weeks off in December and a couple weeks off in January. I was just talking to my wife today. I said, you know, during this time where uh, it's not that I'm off, I'm just not traveling, I'm not on the roads. And I might preach somewhere locally or something like that, but really, I'll focus on writing books and, and spending time in prayer. But I was just telling my wife, I really need to tuck myself away and uh, uh, just uh, turn everything off, turn the news off, turn the radio off, turn the television off, uh, not go anywhere and just tuck myself away in my room and not come out until God's spoken to me about some things. See, there will always be those that will say that. But then there will always be those who will say, let me put my ear to the ground of the church. And whatever the church is saying, that must be what God is saying. Listen, don't be deceived just because it's a popular message and you're hearing it preached on television and you're hearing it preached on the radio and you see popular preachers out there preaching a message. It does not mean that that's God's. What God is looking for is some people that will do what Elijah did. He will say it is okay for you to go out there and celebrate and to eat because God has given us a great victory today and it is about to rain. But there are those of us that recognize us. We need to get in a position of prayer. We need to get into a place of prayer. We need to get, we need to get on the ground. We need to put our head between our knees and we need to start praying until God moves. I don't propose to, no, you know, I look at this. What, what's the baby's name? I, I forget. I, I'm not. Emberly. Emberly. We're going to have a new grandbaby in, uh, in March, and I don't know what I'm going to do with two. I have no idea. My wife said, you'll figure it out. I, I, really, I really don't know what I'm going to do, you know. But I look over here at that beautiful baby, and I think, well, I guess I'll figure it out. <laughs> Cause she's just so pretty, you know, and just smiling, and and just so so happy, and and uh, you know, uh, um, and I and I and I, uh, uh, I'm just so thankful for the season, and I'm so thankful for where God has us, and and uh, I don't know anything about the birthing process, you know. There are people who will always say, Stephen, did you run around saying we're pregnant? You probably did, didn't you? No, <laughs> you know, you're not. <laughs> you you know. Uh, you're not. She's pregnant. You know, and uh, let her own that. <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't know anything. Pastor, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about the process. I don't try to. But um, it is very parallel to what Elijah was doing right here. Elijah was giving birth. He was in a position. I know he was praying, but there was something that he recognized that in this moment, if I don't pray right here, right now, an entire nation might miss a season with God. When, um, 
when Reagan was born, you know, Reagan was the last of three. And, man, you know, we stood on those promises. My, my wife told the doctor, you know, I'm going to have a pain-free delivery. You're not giving me medication. I'm going in. I'm going to have that baby. I'm going to be out there the next day, you know. And, and uh, tr true to the form, uh, with, with Stefano, the same. We had a regular, uh, uh, Sister Karen, we had a regular doctor with Stefano. With Benjamin, we actually had a midwife. And then with Reagan, we had a midwife. But they had kind of changed some of the circumstances in our area. And this one, we actually had Benjamin at our house. But uh, Reagan... We actually had a um, midwife that would come into the hospital. But my wife went about two weeks late. And so since uh, they considered that to be, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow us to have the midwife because she was just, you know, just a little late. And so uh, they scheduled us to go in on May 1st to take a look at everything and see how she was doing. And they weren't going to use Plotocin or anything like that, but they were going to do some things and maybe see if they could generate labor. And so they came in, and they, they were working with her. We got up like at 5 o'clock in the morning, and we took the kids to a neighbor's house, you know, uh, some folks we went to church with, and we went down to the hospital, and all day long, oh, we walked the halls, you know. We did all the stuff, you know, they tell you to do. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Zach, we got nothing. I mean, there's no, there's no baby bouncing around. There's no contractions. There's nothing. And so uh, we're, um, we're like, well, what do we do? And the doctor comes in and says, obviously, you're not having, these are his words, obviously, you're not having a baby today. And so uh, we're going to send you home, come back in the morning, and we'll just start things all over again. And so uh, we thought, no, we don't want to go home. <laughs> You know, we don't think it'd be wise to go home because uh, who knows what could happen, you know. And so we thought, we'll go, we'll check the boys, settle them for the night. I'll go and get clean and fresh clothes and come back. That way, we, at least we don't have to travel first thing in the morning, you know. And so, so, the, the, uh, so I went home. I, I went and got some supper with my brother-in-law. I checked on the boys. I was gone maybe an hour and a half. And so I get back to the hospital, and I go up, and I went by this room, and man, there was these lights going, and uh, there were doctors all running around and nurses all running around. Pastor, I walked right past that room, and I thought, whoa, somebody must be having a baby. <laughs> and I go down to the very next room, my room, and there's nobody in that room. So uh, I get really confused, and I realize this ain't my room. <laughs> That was my room. And so I go running down the hall back to this other room. And I walk in. I'm telling you, all of a sudden, they are cheering and they are yelling. And they're saying, he's here. He's here. You'd think it was my birth, you know. He's here. And uh, I go over and I go, what's going on? And my wife looked at me. That nurse said, she said, she was not giving birth to that baby until you were here. She said she's been in labor for 30 minutes and she is, that baby is ready to come out, but she said that baby was not coming out until you got back. And I thought, thank God I'm here. My precious little wife, who is so gentle and frail, grabbed me by the hand and said, where were you? <laughs> said, baby, you know, I don't care where you were. <laughs> Do you know where I was? And uh, uh, within, within 10 minutes... That little baby's born. Yeah, it, it, there, was, there wasn't a, lot of, there wasn't a lot, of, lot of process there. She didn't labor, any of our children, she didn't labor more than 30 minutes. We, we stood on the word, and she never labored hard. Um, the, uh, as, as Reagan was making her entrance into the world, one of the nurses ran over and grabbed the, um, well, I don't know what it is, but an IV. 
and was going to put an IV in, in my wife's arm. And my wife had already let them know they weren't allowed to do that. And so uh, my wife, in the middle of a contraction, that nurse comes over and is getting ready to put an IV in her arm, and she stops mid-contraction and says, what are you doing? <laughs> and the nurse said, we're, we're going to give you IV. This is what we do for everybody. We're giving you some pain medication. And she says, no, you're not. And she said, we do this for everybody, not me, you don't. She goes, call my doctor. <laughs> and I mean, here my wife is in the middle of child delivery, giving, arguing with this nurse, you know. And finally the nurse got mad and huffed, walked away. She called her doctor. That poor little nurse came in, tucked her little head down. She apologized. I'm so sorry, guys. And, and she carried the little thing out of the room. And I don't propose to know anything. So, so that's, uh, you know, with the, other, with the other children, I was right there every second of the way. But somehow, to this day, my Reagan holds it over my head. She does. Whenever she wants something, she's like, Dad, you almost missed my birth. <laughs> Little stinker. <laughs> and I'm like, but I didn't miss your birth. So it's still no. <laughs> I don't propose to know anything about birthing. I don't know anything about the process, uh, you know, but, but I do know that, that Elijah put himself in a position of birthing. He recognized this moment. I've shared this, and I'll share this. I share it all the time. I'll share it again and again and again. I don't say this to build up Benny Baker. I, I just, I'm going to share my testimony. I was here, I think it was um, two years ago. John Davis had been here talking about revival. He had me so stirred up. I was almost sick. He did. Talking about the things of God, and of course... You know, pastor talks and shares experiences and then the things I've seen and I know and, and as good as God is, I want more. I recognize the need for more. And, and, I, and, I, and I hope that never goes away. I don't ever want there to be a moment. I don't care if we are so anointed that when we walk through the room, we just start floating around the room. We're so anointed by God. It's almost like an angelic, heavenly atmosphere. I still want more. And um, I left this place. I administered on the Saturday night. I left this place, um, I don't remember, I usually will travel home after the service, but I think I stayed in and, and went home the next morning, and, and, uh, but, but either way, I, I gotten in the car, and I'm driving down the road, and I called my wife, and I'm weeping, I feel the residue of revival on my life, see the church has got to have something that's so precious and so powerful, it stays with you after that church service. And so I'm driving home, and I called my wife, and I'm weeping, and she said, she said, what's wrong? And I said, nothing is wrong. I said, I, I just want more. I've got to have more. I, I, and she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to do what I know to do. I said, I'm going to pray and fast. I'm going to seek God, and I'm going I'm to get the answers that I'm believing for, and I'm going to get more of God. See, we're leaky vessels. We leak. We all leak, every one of us. I don't care how anointed you are. I don't care. Uh, and the thing is, please, please understand this. You can get anointed, but you've got to get anointed. You've got to stay anointed. Because you can get anointed for a service, for a season, for a time, but you've got to learn to stay anointed and walk in that anointing. And so I said, I'm going to do what I know to do. And she said, what's that? And I said, I'm going to come home. I said, it was, uh, this is Sunday. I said, I'm going to eat until 6 o'clock. At 6 o'clock, I'm going to wash my face. I'm going to anoint my head with oil. I'm going to go to a time of prayer and fasting. I said, I'm going to go into my bedroom, and I'm not going to come out until I've heard from God. The next seven days, now, there were a, a few times I had to come out. Uh, it, was Reagan's, uh, it was Reagan's graduation that week. 
I had to come out. I had to go to graduation. I remember how I felt. I know there are those of you, don't get mad at me. Say, I love you, Brother Benny. Who didn't say it? There's, I heard somebody in this section over here didn't say it. I'm, <laughs> one or two over here. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, uh, um, I know there are people, they start talking about fasting. Like, woo, I can't wait to fast. Pastor, it's going to be so good. I'm just, you so anointed. You lie. <laughs> you lie. We need to, before we start fast, we need to start having a prayer line just for those that are going to talk about how wonderful it is. Because it ain't wonderful. If it's wonderful, I think you're doing it wrong. Because I've never had a fast that was wonderful. First of all, you know, I, I fast lots of different ways. This was a water fast. So uh, three days into a seven-day water fast, you're detoxing. I'm a coffee guy. I may as well be a heroin addict when it come, come hanging over that toilet and I am puking my insides out. And I'm thinking, God, I don't want to fast anymore. In fact, God, I really don't think I want to live anymore. Just go ahead and take me home right now. Over a cup of coffee. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, God, you know, you've got to help me with this. And at day one, two, three, you know, third day is always the roughest. It's just, and, but after that third day, it really does. It gets better. You know, people say, you don't get hungry anymore. You just get so anointed. They all lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm, they do, because you do get hungry. You are hungry. There are times pathetic, but, but uh, uh, there was this show called Survivor Man. Anybody ever watch Survivor Man? He goes out in the middle of the desert, and he eats grasshoppers. I came into the living room, and the kids were watching Survivor Man, and they were eating grasshoppers. And I looked at the grasshoppers and I thought, that really looks good right now. <laughs> no, come on, don't judge me. And uh, day three, I get through day three, you know, and I, I mean, I'm crying out to God. I got a list. I go before the Lord with a list. And, and uh, uh, I, I, I was taught this, but I never under, really understood it. But I get my list and I lay them out in front of me, Pastor. I keep them before me. And I was just reading in Jeremiah the other day where Jeremiah spread his petitions out before him. And so I've got my stuff out in front of me. I've got just one piece of paper with three things on it that I'm believing, God, I need to hear you from you in this. So uh, uh, a, a, a Pentecostal conference to celebrate Pentecost in Garland, Texas, stirs all this up in me. I can't tell you what it did for you all. I can only tell you what it did for me. So I'm so stirred up, and I, I am willing to go seven days, Pastor, on water so I can get to my miracle. So I have three things in front of me that I've just laid out, and I'm praying over night and day. Three things, night and day. i got a million things I'd be praying for, but this, top three things right here. And I'm praying over it, and I'm, I'm believing God, and it's day, day four, day five, day six comes. Now, See, day six is always very tricky because you have the anticipation of eating. <laughs> oh, come on, don't get mad. Because some of you, when you fasten, day two of your fast, you think of your first meal that you're going to eat when you get off your fast. All of a sudden, stuff that you never dreamed that you would desire. You, I don't know if you may, you know, in our house, what would happen is there would always be different people fasting in cycles. And so my wife would be over here, and she'd start making, like, stuff I didn't even like. And I'm putting it in baggies, freezing it for when I'm off my fast. Come on, don't judge me. <laughs> Some of you done the same thing, you know. All of a sudden, you know, you, think, you, you start thinking about cheeseburgers in other states, and you are willing to drive to another state to get a cheeseburger. 
And so uh, day, trick, day six can be really tricky. Used to, I always fast before service, before the service. I would fast my whole day or a couple days up to. I quit doing that. Do you want to know why? I'll just be real with you. Uh, I always fast before services, but I would be so hungry that I thought more <laughs> about eating than I did the service. Oh, come on, don't judge me. Just, I appreciate it. Thank you. See, I knew I, I knew I was feeling the love over here. It was this side I should have been worried about. But, um, but no, really, because I, I recognized, I went to counsel. I went to, to mentors and spiritual leaders and said, what do I need to do? And they, they all kind of laughed and said, yeah, we kind of have the same problem. <laughs> but um, um, and I know I, I'm, I'm having fun with this, but I do know we get into a supernatural realm, okay? But uh, I guess I just wasn't in that supernatural realm. I wasn't that I was fl- fasting in my flesh. I was just fasting in a place that was just difficult. And fasting should be hard. Because it reminds us of how good God is. It reminds us of how wonderful his presence is. And so, so anyway, so, so day six, usually I'm anticipating that meal, but I get sick. I, uh, the only thing I could think of, I must have got hit with some kind of sinus infection or something that came out of nowhere. And it felt like I had been hit in the head with a brick. And I mean, I'm calling on the Lord, you know, and I mean, I'm, I'm up in the middle of the night. And I am weeping, God, you know, I need, I need some help. And, and these last, last six hours of this fast are the worst. I guess it's a little more, maybe last 12 hours, um, you know, somewhere in there. But was the worst, worst of every bit of it. And so 3 o'clock, I'm going to break this fast at 6. It is 3 o'clock. I am on my bed, and I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Not really feeling, it's not so much that I feel physically weak. You know, I've gone much longer than six, seven days on a fast before. But, but I just, I feel exhausted because of my mind. The things I'm praying for, what I'm believing for. And, and, and then the, uh, the, the sickness, the sickness that's come on. The, the pain kind of left. But I just feel exhausted. And I'm laying on my bed. I have three hours before the fast is over. And I'm laying there and I'm literally crying out to God. God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to talk to me. And all of a sudden, God... One by one, he takes the first thing, and he says, Benny, do this. The second thing, Benny, do this. And the third thing, Benny, do this. First of all, these were things I needed in my life, but I recognized the moment that I was in. See, anything we offer to God, it should cost us something should cost us something I, I in every way whether it's in our giving listen first of all i am a tither man i believe in tithing i i am a constant as a minister i tithe personally i tithe off of the top of my ministry um i, I just i believe in the power of tithing i believe in giving but uh man when we when we give something there comes moments when we have to feel that that seed it has to be something that we feel and i'll just i'm gonna relate real quickly a story talking about about sacrificing that's what elijah did he was sacrificing while others were rejoicing there was something inside of him that said i don't care who else is throwing a party i recognize that i need to press in and so uh this precious young man gone to went to whitehorse christian center up in lafayette indiana my hometown whitehorse was a, an amazing place still is during the uh, that, that time frame that pastor was talking about on Father's Day, uh, I don't think it was the same year as Pensacola, but they had the same encounter with God. They had 80 people. They were typical New County Worship Center at that time. They had 80 people. The pastor stood up, dismissed the church, 
And all of a sudden, all 80 people fell out under the power of God. Every one of them laying on the ground. Through a series of events, they went from a church of 80 people to today they run several thousand. But, but uh, this young man had, had come in and, and uh, uh, God began to deal with him about a watch that he had on his arm. And the Lord said, uh, son, I want you to give that watch in, in the offering. So the young man said, uh, God, I, I can't give that watch. I can't do it. The Lord began to deal with him. All day long, God dealt with him about giving this watch. That night, pastor, he came into service. He came in late. He came crawling through the doors of the sanctuary on his hands and knees, weeping, uncontrollably cried out, I don't want to give my watch. Now, anybody else, that might not mean much. But this young man's crying out, God, please don't make me give my watch. Please, God. I mean, out loud, getting, it, it disrupting the service. And uh, you got to know the culture of White Horse, you know, that it really didn't stop anything. <laughs> they just kept worshiping, kept singing, kept praising God. But here this young man is crawling down the middle aisle, and he gets to the altar. Sister Karen, he takes that watch off. He lays it on the altar, and he crawls back out the back door. He gets in his car and he goes home. Nobody knows what was wrong with this young man. Uh, you know, this is a pretty large church, so there are people with relationship, but this kind of came out of nowhere. So a few weeks later, this young man had had a major spiritual breakthrough. He had had some things in his personal life that he could not shake off. And, and so he comes back and he shares his testimony. He says, guys, you know, I, I really, he's, he's, the pastor lets him you know, get up in front of the church. And he gets up and says, guys, I'm really sorry, you know, but let me tell you about my watch. That wasn't just any watch. That was a Rolex. He said, when I was a young man, I started mowing yards when I was about eight years old and making money. He said, my dad told me I could not be a man unless I could afford a Rolex watch. And he said, for years I saved and, and lost money and saved and lost money and tried and gained. And, and finally I went down to the store. I buy this Rolex watch. And he said, it was one, it couldn't just go in and get a cheap one. He had to buy one that was similar to his dad's. And he puts that Rolex watch on his arm. He said, in that moment, I felt like a man. He said, I began to succeed in business and I was doing well in all these places, he said. But then uh, the Lord began to deal with me and I gave my heart to Jesus, but I had these things I was hanging on to. And I'll be honest, I served money way better than I ever served God. And he said that that day when the pastor was talking about feeling a seed, in that moment God spoke to me and said, give that watch. And he said, <laughs> he said, I fought God all day. He said, but I was obedient. I did what God said. He said, I came up there and I crawled. You know, he, told, he said, I crawled through the auditorium. I laid that watch down on the altar. And he said, and in that moment, there was something that set, let loose of me. And from then till now, I've never been the same again. He really believed the only way he was a man was that watch. He really believed the only success he had in life or in business was because he had a watch. Isn't it crazy how we will train ourselves? But he never forgot that. See, this is a true story. And the pastor laughed about it. And, and he says, well, you know, we all have some things we're hanging on to. This is a true story. The next week, Pastor Jeff, 
is at the back door of the church with the keys to his motorcycle in his hand. I'm telling you, honest, honestly, he is crawling through the sanctuary, crying, God, I don't want to give my motorcycle. And he crawled to the altar just like that young man laid the keys down to his brand new motorcycle and walked away. See, the, see the, there is a place where it, it really has got to cost us something. This walk, salvation is free, but after that, to get souls, we are going to have to pay a price. People come in and they'll, 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 they'll be in services like you have these services here. And these services are awesome. I'm telling you, there's not very many places in the country that we go where there is an anointing like there is at the river. There's a few that, that have, every church's taste is different, you know what I mean? So nobody has what you have, but, but according to your taste and your style, but others have, have something similar, but, but you have paid a price for it. You have contended for the anointing. Pastors had made to make decisions that were hard and difficult. Either we want to do this or do we want the anointing? Do we want to move in this direction or do we want the presence of God? Friend, I would much rather have the presence of God than the accolades of men. I would much rather have the presence of God than millions and millions of dollars and have our face on Charisma Magazine or on some television program. But it costs. It costs. I've not been with my wife on her birthday in five years. We've celebrated her birthday at different times. But to do what we do, it costs something. But when we have, I was up in northwest Arkansas, and God's really good up there. We've got several churches that we go to, and God's really blessed us up there. But, but I was, uh, Sunday morning, I was in this service, and this young man sitting in the back, all sprawled out in a chair, you know. See, religious folk would get mad at that. We should never get mad at that. You know, I, I know their lack of respect and candor for the house of God, it, it, it infuriates me. But we got to get over that. This young man all sprawled out in a chair, hat on pastor sideways, went, and God sends me right to him. Like the first person I prayed for. I mean, hundreds of people there, and I go walking back, and he looks at me, eyes all glazed over. And I begin to pre minister to him. And I, I, don't, I don't remember what I said. I, I really don't. There was such a connection with this young man, but I don't remember what I told him. So then uh, a few months later, they'd invited me back, and I, I came back. And uh, at the end of the service, this young man in a real nice suit comes walking up to me. Clean-cut hair. Respecting the house of God, helping usher. He comes up to me and says, Brother Benny, do you remember me? I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. And he says, I didn't expect you to, but I was the young man in the back. He says, Brother Benny, I was high as a kite. He said, uh, I am looking at 40 years in prison right now. He said, I, I, I know about God, knew about him, and, and knew he could change my situation, but I didn't even care. He said, I don't even know how I got to church that day. Somebody picked me up and just dropped me off here. He said, but there was something that you said that spoke life into me, that spoke change into me. He said, Brother Benny, this is, what I, this is my vow to God. He said, if I go to prison, I go to prison. I did, he, he armed robbery. Armed a little convenience store, got out, got high, and, and uh, messed up, fell short. 40 years he's looking at. He said, Brother Benny, if I gotta go to jail, I'll go to jail, and I will serve God from that jail. He said, I will share the love of Jesus with everybody I come across, and it will not deter me one bit. Tears start streaming down his face. 
He said, but Brother Benny, if God will set me free. He said, I'm going to go the highways, the byways, the hedges. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do what you do. And I'm going to see as many people saved as possible. And I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that had to have gotten the attention of Almighty God. Friend, it might cost us something, but that's worth it. That's worth it. Pastor, it might, uh, how many times has your heart been broken? How many times has somebody you thought would be with you forever walked out on you, stopped supporting you, told you they never wanted to see you again? But every time God looks at you, and that's when the heart of God begins to swell up. And God looks at you and says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Go ahead, get in your birthing position. Put your head between your knees and begin to cry out until you see God move. Don't get detoured because it don't look like it's happening. I, uh, I don't understand people who want to disprove the miraculous. I don't understand it. But I've had people who, who we've prayed for that have gotten healed. And I've seen them, it, 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 just reality, I've seen people have other things come into their lives. And I, it's almost like people would say, well, I thought they got healed. I thought they got a miracle. I can't explain that. But I'm not afraid to get on my face and cry out to God and believe for a healing for Him. We've got to contend for the miraculous. We've got to fight for it. I, uh, the Bible says that he went and looked at his servant and he said, I want you to go look in that empty sky over there and tell me what you see. This is very important. He said, I hear the sound of abundance. Um, can I revelate you just for a moment? Well, you want to hear something miraculous? If you'll just do this with me, bear with me for a minute. Do you want to hear the sound of abundance? Right now, we can do that. Right now, in this building tonight, supernaturally, you can hear the sound of abundance. You ready? Okay, on the count of three, nobody say a word. You're going to hear the sound of abundance. You ready? One, two, three. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? And somebody say, preacher, I don't hear a thing. See, the, the thing about a sound, thing about God's manifestation of the miraculous, you will hear a thing before you'll ever see it. Faith cometh by seeing, right? Oh, is that doesn't? Is that what it says? Feeling. Faith cometh by feeling. It's hearing. And what did he say? He did not say, I see the sound of abundance, I see abundance, I, I, I feel abundance, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. What did they need? They needed rain. And the man of God stands and says, I hear the sound of abundance. In fact, I believe it so much, break your fast. I want you to go into your palace, eat, drink, and be happy because tomorrow we're going to have some rain. Tomorrow we're going to have the thing we've been praying for. We've been That's a pretty big step of faith, right? And so the Bible says after that, he goes and he bears. See, the thing is, you will have, you've got to get it coming out of your mouth before you will ever see it with your eyes. We have got to quit looking at our bodies and think that we are sick people trying to get better. You are not sick people trying to get better. You are well people trying to walk in the fullness of God's healing power. You are not broke people trying to get rich. You are wealthy people who have been blessed by God that are trying to walk in the fullness of His anointing and power and blessing. We've got to, and you hear more of what you'll say than anybody else. 
You've got to start calling yourself blessed. You've got to look in the mirror and you've got to say, I'm blessed. I'm healed. I'm saved. My, we'll say things like my kids act up so bad that they ain't ever going to come to church. God, where you at? We need to quit saying that stuff. We've got to start saying, God, I know my kids have been acting crazy, but God, you are a big God. And you gave me a promise in my word. If I would train up that child in a way that he or she would go, when they grow old, they won't depart. God, my prodigal's coming home. My parents ever, ain't ever going to get saved. Look how they act. Don't say that. Start saying every day they're saved. They're coming home. They're coming home. I, I've been so sick in my body, it's killing me. Quit saying that stuff. Start saying, I am already healed. I know I feel sick. I know I might even look sick, but I'm not concerned about what I see, what I feel, what I'm thinking. I'm concerned about the Word of God. And the Word of God says I can hear the sound of abundance. I love the fact that it says abundance there. Because, Pastor, whenever we're in lack, we can just stop and we can close our eyes and we can say, but I hear the sound of abundance. Woo! I might cut loose and preach tonight. <laughs> we just might have a good time up here in the river tonight. We, uh, he said, he cast himself down, buried his face in his knees, and he went to somebody that he loved. I'm going to get out of my box for a minute. So I try to stay good, Pastor, I do. I can't, I can't do it long. He goes, he looks, and he says, I want you to go, I want you to look, and come back and tell me what you see. We've all read this story, right? You know, you know what happens. So he goes, servant of the prophet goes, and he looks, and he comes back with what report? I don't see anything. Have you ever been there? God, I'm trying to have faith. I'm trying to stand, but I don't see a thing. I don't feel a thing. I can remember when, when people were praying with me, trying to, get, trying to get me to get the Holy Ghost. Is that how we say it? I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know how to say it, but I know when I got it, I knew I had it. But they were trying to get me to get it, you know? And I don't know if that's how you're really supposed to do it. I know we want to pray with folks and lay hands on them, but they were really, say this, Benny. <laughs> say that, Benny. If you do this, Benny, just say, y'all been there. Just say Jesus, brother. If you just say Jesus, 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 Jesus you're just going to get it. You're just going to take off. It, none of that worked for me. <laughs> None of it. A uh, man of God came in, laid both hands on me. Power of God hit me. I went up in the air and landed on the ground, bounced on my skull. Cement floor, no carpet, no padding. My wife to this day says, Benny, that's what's wrong with you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She don't say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's gonna, I hope she's not listening tonight. I'll be in trouble. He, uh, power of God hit me. See, but... For, for whatever reason, when it comes to supernatural things, we feel like I don't have enough experience to receive this. And so I'm looking, and I want it to happen, but it's not happening. So what do I do? So what do you do? You look again. You look again. And so he went to the prophet and said, Man of God, I don't see it. What do you want me to do? And the man of God says, Why don't you go check it out again? <laughs> just just take, take yourself over there and look again. Okay, I trust him. So he's not telling me to do this because he don't have anything better to do because he's on his face praying. He wants me to see something. But I don't know how to fine-tune my eyes to see what he wants me to see. This, this, is, this is the game we play in church all the time because we make it about us. 
It is not about him seeing anything. It's about the manifestation of the miraculous with God's people. And when they come together and we got somebody over here praying and we got somebody else over here watching. Does that sound familiar? Somebody's praying and somebody's watching and somebody is at the wall and the wall is protecting the city and they stand and they look and they say, I don't see no trouble. All must be well, but keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. I know my family's acting up. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep standing. Keep believing. And he went and looked the second time and he came back and said, I don't see anything. And then he went and looked the third time and he said, I don't see anything. And he went and looked the fourth time and he said, I still don't see anything. And the fifth time he said, I don't see anything. And at this point, he's got to be thinking, it must be me. Pastor, do you think you get somebody else to look? Because I'm just not seeing it. Have you ever felt that way? <clears throat> I'm trying, I'm try, Pastor, I'm trying to be blessed. I'm just not seeing it. I, I, I am. Man, man, I'm, I'm trying to be blessed. Just, just for whatever reason, I'm not seeing it. Precious friend of mine <clears throat> got his bank statement. But Ed, there was an extra $10,000 in his account. Yeah, somebody ought to praise God about right there. Now, I know, now hold on, hold on, religious folk. I, I'm gonna, I've got you, so I, I, got, I, I got a net. I'm going to catch you. <laughs> but uh, he um, goes down to the bank with his statements. He lays them down in the front of the, the, the teller and says, excuse me, ma'am, there are some extra money in my account. said, it's not my money. And she looked at him and she said, Mr. Johns, that is your money. And he said, no, it's not. <laughs> and she flipped the screen around, Pastor, and said, look, right here, we have, we have proof. This is your money. It come from right here. And he says, but I got my papers right here. And she said, I don't care what your papers say. This is your money. And he said, I don't want to take money that belongs to somebody else. She said, sir, this is not somebody else's money. This is your money. He's starting to get it. And he says, all right, this is my money. Yes, this is your money. It's my money. Yes, this is your money. Okay, give it to me right now. <laughs> so he said, give it to me right now. She said, you want it right now? Yes, yes, ma'am. I want it right now. Stack it up right in front of me, and I'm going to walk out of here because it's mine, right? Yes, it's yours. Oh, for goodness sake. Got out $10,000. Walked out of the bank with it. Because somebody had the faith to say, you need to check this out for me. <laughs> Can you just check this? Can you go out here and can you look to the sky and check and see if there is any sign of the miraculous taking place in my life? Somebody says, well, what happened with that money? I don't know. If they needed it, they could come get him, challenge him. They never did. They knew where it went. They know where it came from. So somebody said, well, did God put it in there? I don't care. <laughs> did an angel put it in there? I don't care. Did they make a mistake? I don't know if they made a mistake. All I know is that he had a need, and God supernaturally provided for his need. When we were first in, first in ministry, my wife and I, we, man, we're living by faith. We, we had no sense, but we had all kinds of faith. And man, we would go to church, and I'd open up my Bible, and Karen, there'd be $50 in my Bible. I'd open it up somewhere else, and there'd be $100. I'd open it up somewhere else, there'd be $20. And uh, man, we're rejoicing because we needed that. We needed that money. And then uh, we go back next week, same thing. Next week, same thing, sometimes more, sometimes less. But there's always money in that Bible. We'd share that testimony. Somebody came to me and said, you know, Brother Baker, there was somebody putting money in that Bible. You know that, right? And I said, I don't care. 
I don't care if God sent an angel to put money in my Bible. I don't care if God sent a drug dealer in off the street. I, I lost somebody a drug dealer, didn't I? I don't care if God sent a drug dealer in off of the street to put it in. Let me explain something to you. The moment it hits these hands, it is sanctified. You understand that? It, the moment it hits your hands, it is now sanctified. Well, I'm preaching... I'm preaching. I'm having fun tonight. I'll just say that. I don't know about you, but I'll leave tonight saying I had a blast at church. <laughs> Six times. He goes, and at this point, he has to think. He, he's got in himself, something's not right. It's, it's got to be me. Man of God, I don't see a thing. What do you want me to do? And true to his form, the prophet said, I want you to go, and I want you to look one more time. See, we think it, the magic is in the number. We think, we think it's, it's in the process. It is in be obedient to God. And it is not giving up. I don't care if it was one time or 7,000 times they had the faith to look again. They did not give up. They endured. When there was nobody, people used to stay away from my ministry by the millions. <laughs> they didn't give to us by the millions. I'm, millions of dollars we could have had for the kingdom of God. It never showed up. But I didn't get detoured. Uh, pastors used to, I'd call and ask, ask him, uh, you know, you, you said you joined our ministry. Would you like us to come in? No. Man, I'd hang up that phone. I'd be heartbroken. I would. It would just, I felt like it'd destroy me. Because all I want to do is preach the gospel. Don't they don't understand? And, but I kept doing what God told me to do. I was in Richmond, Virginia. I'm almost done. You enjoy this tonight? I'm almost done. I was in Richmond, Virginia. Virginia. Had to have been right before I met Pastor, maybe 2010. And, uh, I was uh, preaching revival. We had a revival that kind of, it just, just kind of happened. They brought me in for like a, a Wednesday night. And God started moving, so we kept going. And we kept going into Sunday. And then from Sunday, we kept going. Like the last service, and we went like a full week is how it turned out. Last service, we had miracles that were happening. They brought this young man in who was in a wheelchair. He had uh, obviously had had brain surgery of some kind. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know, um, I didn't know his story. I'd never seen him before. So I'm up preaching, and so at the end of the service, I went over to him like I would, you know, any time. We cannot be intimidated by sickness. We can't be. We just got to quit letting the enemy intimidate us. Can't let sickness. We can't let AIDS. We can't let accidents. We can't let paraplegics, quadriplegics. We can't let people who have no feeling from their, uh, from their, uh, from their neck down in any way. We, we can't let that be intimidating to us. We've got to pray. Maybe you're the only one that'll pray for. So uh, I went back to this young man and obviously had some kind of brain surgery. And I went back, I began to pray with him. The Bible says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So I didn't look at him and say, Lord, you know, please heal this man and walk on. We prayed for him. We stood with him. We prayed. Now, listen, I'm just going to be real with you, okay? I have learned that God is looking for somebody that will attach faith to their prayers. Because we will go to seminars on how to pray and still not know how to pray. God is just looking for somebody with the right heart that will say, I don't need anybody to get healed for me. I need them to get healed because I want them to live the fullest life that God has for them. I preach blessing. I believe in the power of blessing. And I believe that because I, not, not so I can be blessed so that I can see people around me walk in the fullness of God's blessings for their lives. That's why we do what we do. And I went over and I prayed with him. And man, we prayed. We stood. And I'd like to say he got up out of that wheelchair and did laps around the church and was completely healed. But nothing happened. Nothing. 
After the service, I went to pastor. I said, do you know this man's story? He said, yeah. He said, actually, he's been operated on. He's, he has some type of brain cancer. They have given him less than a month to live. I'm, saying, I'm glad I didn't know that before I prayed with him because I'm over there speaking life, saying you can live and not die. And, and in my ignorance, I released all kinds of faith over him. And so uh, I, we closed that service. I went home. We had a precious lady in our church who had had cancer, and God healed her. And so, I mean, we see this, this, this thing where God's been healing people of cancer around us. The pastor from the church calls me. He said, Brother Benny, this is, this is a few weeks later. He said, Brother Benny, he said, I got an awesome testimony for you. I said, yeah. Man, what happened? He says, remember that guy we prayed for? He says, the guy in the wheelchair. I said, yeah, I remember. And he said, man, he said he got filled with so much faith that he went home and he went to the doctor and asked the doctor to run their tests again. He said, I know you said I've got stage four cancer, I'm dying, all this stuff, but I want you to check me again. So the doctors ran their tests. They came back and they said, you know, sir, we're really sorry, but, you know, you, uh, you have stage four cancer, you're not going to make it. I'm sure they had better candor than that, but that's what they told him. A couple more weeks went by, he's still alive. His hair started growing back on his head. He started, he, he wasn't using the electronic wheelchair anymore. He was rolling himself around his house and he was getting out of his house and going places and he's feeling better. And so he goes, goes back to the doctor and says, guys, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm, I'm looking better and, and uh, I think you need to check me again. So they ran their tests and they came back with the same report. Said, sir, you know, you have stage four cancer. You're, you're going to die. And once again, I'm sure their candor was better than that. But that's what they told him. So a few weeks later, he's still alive. This time, he's no longer in his wheelchair. Ain't nobody can help me now. He's up walking around him. He makes another appointment with these doctors. And he goes in, walking into the doctor's office. And he says, guys, listen, I don't know what to tell you all, but I'm doing better. He said, my, my hair's growing back. I'm, I'm not in a wheelchair. I got my strength back. I got my appetite back. I don't know what to tell you, but you need to check me again. And so the doctor said, we don't know what to tell you, but you got cancer. And he said, well, I want you to know you need to check me again. Amen. And so they ran their tests. And then pastors, some other doctors came in, and they wanted to run some tests. And then these other doctors came in and they also wanted to run these tests. And then before long, they went through several days of testing. And this man that was on his deathbed eight weeks prior, who could not get up out of a wheelchair, all of a sudden that doctor had to walk in that hospital room, shaking his head and said, son, I don't know what happened to you, but last month you had cancer, but today you're cancer free. Man, that's the kind of God we serve. Don't be afraid to look again. Don't think it's a lack of faith because it didn't happen the first time that you prayed. And the Bible said the prophet went to the sky. I bet this time he's praying, God, whatever I gotta see, let me see. Whatever needs to happen in my life, let it happen. Whatever I need to change in me for me to be all that I'm called to be, God, let it change in me. And he opened up his eyes and he saw a sky filled with clouds, right? No. Not at all. He saw angels fluttering around the sky saying, it's going to rain. Is that how it went down? No, the Bible says he looked and he saw something about the size of a man's fist. He something, saw something small 
and in, insignificant. A nation needed a gully washer. Y'all have gully washers down here? When I was a kid in Mississippi. We had gully washers. A nation needed a gully washer. And he saw something the size of a man's hand. And the Bible says he went back to the prophet. And the prophet said, what did you see? And he said, I saw something the size of a man's hand. And I can see that old prophet as he wiped his brow. I can see him as he dusted himself off. And he got up out of his position of birthing. Because he, even though it was small, he knew he had given birth to what God had planned for him to press out a hip. Some of you, maybe right now you're in a pressing. Maybe you've been through some hard things. Maybe the doctor has told you something. Or the banker has told you something. But don't give up. Don't be denied. Stand and say, if i got to look again, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look again. But I'm going to get my miracle. Can I share one more quick story with you? Just real quick. I'm almost done. <laughs> I'm not one of them closing preachers, pastor, that closes and closes. But I feel faith tonight. I do. I feel, and when faith is in the room, man, we got to honor it. I, uh, Pastor Judah and I, y'all know we, when we first went to Iowa, we lived in the basement of our church there. Now, when I say we lived in the basement, I've been in some nice evangelistic quarters where there was a bed, and we, we lived in a Sunday school room. <laughs> we had a little, little better, but not much, but we had a water hose draped over a, a boiler pipe, and that's how we took showers. <laughs> it was rough, man. Me and me, my wife, my my uh, my three babies. We had uh, <laughs> we had to guard the door for our our shower room was actually just a storage room with some pipes and stuff where the boiler was. My wife would guard the door because there was no lock on it, no way to lock it. My wife would guard the door when I showered. She'd guard the door. Now I I can't tell you the times. Let's just say we had some close calls, Pastor. <laughs> it was it was rough. The first few months were rough. Um. After a little while, we, bought, we got this little tiny apartment. We were rejoicing, man. That apartment was heaven. We'd been ex experiencing, you know, revival. We'd had several awesome meetings, and God really moved, and had some awesome miracles, and I'll share that stuff another time. I'm sure you've heard it before from me, probably, but power God's really moving, and I preached a message called Repent, Resist, and Request. We're going to repent. Any wrong in our life, we're going to repent. We're going to resist the enemy, any temptation that he would bring into life, and God, we're going to make a request. The property next door to the church that had been the church years ago, the people got up in the middle of the night and fled. So I don't know what, I don't know what their situation was, but they left the house. It went to the bank. When that happened, we didn't covet anything. You hear what I'm saying? I wasn't looking at my neighbor's house saying, I want my neighbor's house. We were looking at an empty house that was owned by a bank, and we are saying, God, we want this house. So we went, and we put a little stake in the ground and said, God, we, we, we repent. We resist the enemy, and we request this property. This used to be the churches. We want it again. I also went downtown Waterloo. I put a stake in the ground and said the same thing. This is our city. We claim this city is ours. So uh, a Gideon calls me, who happens to be a realtor. He used to come to church. I said, Brother Benny, he says, you know anything about the property next door? I said, no, man, what's going on with it? Do you know? And he says, yeah, it's going up for sheriff's auction in December, like the 23rd, I think. And I'm like, Really? So uh, I hung up with him. I get on the phone with my bank. We start making arrangements. I get on the phone with my lawyer. We start making arrangements. This is like the end of November, maybe. And uh, the, uh, our, our lawyer tells us that this is going to be a, like a, a fire sale because it's just going to be a madhouse. And he said, because I think there's $70,000 that's owed on the property. 
But the value of the property is like a hundred, at the time 130. And so, uh, I mean, you know, it's like, it's worth double what we're going to pay for it. And so uh, the, the lawyer says it's going to be a madhouse. And so now, now we're, of course we're discouraged. Okay? See, this is, there has to come a point where we have to have something to stand on. I've got to stand on something. I need a promise. That's why whenever you've got sickness in your body, you've got a word to stand on. I'm standing on this word. So my wife wakes up and she said, Biddy, I had a dream last night. I said, what'd you dream? She said, babe, I dreamt that we went down there to that sheriff's auction and we had a snowstorm. And not, no, not one person showed up that, that auction but us, the sheriff, and, our, uh, and our, uh, our attorney and our banker. Now I got something to stand on. So whenever people would say, well, what do you expect? I expect nobody to show up because we have a snowstorm that night. And God's going to keep everybody else away. Don't get mad at me. Favor's not fair, right? <laughs> I wasn't wishing ill for nobody else, but this was ours. Didn't nobody else go reclaim it? We claimed it. So we had a right to it. And uh, the morning of the auction, man, we, we jumped out of bed, opened the door. There were six inches of snow on the ground. They had closed the city down. Uh, the schools were already out for Christmas time, but uh, any of the other city things weren't going on. We called down, asked, is the sheriff's auction still going on? Yes, sir. Sheriff's here. The person who takes care of that, we're doing it. I called my banker. I said, can we meet? Yes, sir, Mr. Baker. Just swing by, pick me up. I hopped in the car. We go down there. There is not one person in there, me and my wife. That's it. They wanted $70,000 for this property. We gave them $70,050. And the sheriff hit that little gavel and said, it's yours. God gave us an instant miracle. We went in with almost, almost $80,000 equity. At the time, people had gotten the spirit of what we were trying to do, and we literally, from over the country, we had people sending us money. In fact, we had people sending us $1,000 offerings from all over the country. So we ended up, uh, not everybody did that, but lots of people did that. But we ended up with almost $20,000 cash money to do whatever needed to be done to the property so that we could just go in there and it could be fixed up and whatever needed to be done. So if we needed appliances, we got appliances. If we needed flooring, we got the flooring and we could just move into a brand new home. Isn't God good? But we were not detoured by what people said. Stand to your feet. Isn't God good? Don't, don't be detoured by a No. Don't let somebody come in and tell you no and, and let that sway you one bit. Because what's no right now is going to be a yes down the road just a little bit. What's not working out for you right now is going to work out. When we went full-time evangelist, of course, you know, I pastored for, well, I pastored for like 20 years, but 15 years in Iowa. And uh, those 15 years, man, God was good to us. We had a wonderful church. Um, and I, we, uh, you know, I, I really relate to Pastor Scott and what he's trying to do here. His way is a little different than mine was, but we were seeking the same thing, seeking revival. I don't remember, uh, we had uh, many awesome extended meetings at our church. Power got, many got healed, many got set free. We, we had a culture of prayer. We had a culture of fasting. We would, and, you know, I'm sure you guys do similar things, but we would have prayer at the church, and um, for like seven days, we would have somebody praying at the church in shifts for days. We, would, uh, we went in, and during those times, we went through and in one, like in one week, we read the Bible in its entirety out loud. Because <laughs> we had people Bible reading nonstop, 24 hours a day. 
No, we're not building ourselves up. We were seeking the same things. We just want the presence of God. We want a move of God. When the Lord told me, spoke to my heart, and we left, we didn't leave because the church was in trouble. We love the church. To this day, we love the church. We love the church people. We love the people that are there in our place. We want the best for them. But to this day, uh, when the Lord spoke to me to make that change and it ended up on the evangelistic field, I had friends come to me and say, Brother Benny, it's hard out there evangelistically. It's tough. Don't know if you'd be able to make it. I had a real good friend of mine said, Brother Benny, I went six months without a meeting. Six months. Without one revival. Six months. That kind of blew me away, but in love. And I mean this, in love. I said, I thank you so much for, for your input. But I'm not you. And God spoke to me. You have to stand on what God told you to do. I'm not saying don't seek out counsel from your pastor. I did those things. I did the right things. I did. I went to my mentors and my leaders, and I sought God, God's, God's face. And and um, but don't be detoured when you don't get the response from people that you want. And can, can I just be honest with you? When you step out in faith, there's a lot of folks who want to see you fail. That's why you got to surround yourself with people of faith. I, I, I don't even want to say this. I'm not trying to release anything bad. But there are people that want these doors shut. They'd rather curse it than bless it. I don't understand that, Pastor. I don't. But there are also people out there who don't even know you exist that are on their face praying for you right now. If you'll just close your eyes and we're going to spend some time just, just seeking the Lord for just a moment. I'm going to tell you some things I felt like the Lord showed, showed me. I, I seen, um, when I was standing over here earlier, I seen... Uh, um, I see you all praying and I, and I know, I mean that's no revelation I know you have a culture but I see the demonic influence that I saw that you were standing against and uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I believe that it is and what God showed me it looked like a lamb but the lamb's mouth was disfigured and, and, uh, and messed up and I didn't understand what I was seeing and so I just kind of tucked it under my chest for a moment and then uh, I, just let it, I just let it pass. I thought, God, if you want me to know what it is, you'll show me what it is. What I absolutely believe that you are fighting, this generation is fighting, but I believe that you are fighting. You are fighting a form of godliness. Because it looked enough like the lamb. If it didn't say anything, if it didn't move around, it looked like the lamb. But the moment it began to respond and began to open up its mouth, we knew it wasn't the lamb, so we knew it wasn't God. What we are fighting is a generation that has learned to have big churches and big ministries without the move of God. Keep, keep your process. Keep your buildings. Give me a move of God. Slip up your hands and just love on Jesus for a moment. I want you to know you are about to have the greatest victories of your life. I really believe, please, please write this down. Please challenge this. Some of you, you've got some things on your prayer list, some things on your church prayer list. I believe before that clock turns 2020, you're going to see some victory. I believe you're going to see victory. Pastor, I looked around, and we always talk about the church, and we always talk about where the church is, and 